0: You're listening to Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. You know, uh, preachers are counting about their pulpits, about like a about like a hunter with his uh, when he's scoping. You know, when he's scoping in his rifle, I have to get this thing aimed right. But amen, amen, thank you so much. God is, God is blessed today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to Romans Romans chapter eight Romans chapter eight continuing we're taking a, a, a short break from uh, from the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke. story was told years ago that Teddy Roosevelt, the president of the United States, had been on a hunting trip uh, to Africa, had been on a safari and a hunting trip, and he was on a ship and he was on his way back coming into the New York Harbor. Also on that ship was a, was a missionary who had spent their life in Africa. They were both on the same ship, one coming back from a safari and a big hunt, and the other coming back after a lifetime of serving on the mission field. As they came into that port there in New York, there was a mass of people, just an enormous crowd of people, all of them holding up posters, shouting, and, and just so excited that the president had returned, that President Roosevelt had returned. and So he just had an unbelievable ceremony as he came back to the United States. The missionary who had spent their life in Africa was also on that ship, And as they came down that game plate, they realized the crowd began to disperse. Everybody began to leave. The president left. And missionary looked and there was nobody there. They had spent their entire life serving the Lord there in Africa. There was nobody there. Nobody there to greet them. No family. Their family, what little family they had had died years ago. There were no friends. friends, Nobody there. And so this missionary went and Finally found a hotel room, went to that hotel room that night, got down on his knees and just was broken. He said, God, I don't understand. He said, the President of the United States goes on a hunting trip. He comes back from a safari and he comes home and people are just everywhere here to greet him. Lord, I've spent my life serving you and I come home and there's nobody here it was in that moment that missionary recorded a very, very clear word from God. God said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. I want you and I to understand something. I'm not home yet. In fact, I want you to say that to the person next to you. I'm not home yet. In John sixteen thirty three, 33, we, we looked last week in, in Romans eight twenty eight, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And we said this, that God takes everything in our life and He works it for our good, okay? And we said we're living, now I want you to understand something, we are living in a, living in a fallen, depraved world. In fact, John 16, 33, Jesus said this, just listen. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, in the NIV. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In Job 5, 7, Job 5, 7, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now look at Romans 8, 22 and 23. In Romans 8, and 23, Paul said to the church at, at Rome there, he said, we know that, in the, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pain, pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Now look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, what the writers say from Genesis all the, Reve- all the way to Revelation is, is that you and I are not home yet. We're in an alien environment. We are living in a place, we're living in a fallen world. And even though we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, listen, the Bible makes it very clear, in this environment, in this world, you and I are going to have troubles. James uses the word, they're sprinkled. They're going to be splattered all across our lives. It's just something that you and I are going to have to deal with. And so the writer here, Paul, is making it clear. Why? Because listen, my citizenship, listen, is not here. My citizenship is in heaven. You see, the Bible says that you and I as believers, we are pilgrims, we're sojourners. We're, As the old song says, we're passing through this world. This is not home to us. Now... To help you understand that you're living in enemy territory, it would be like the United States government saying to you, you're going to be our ambassador in in Afghanistan to the Taliban. Okay, you'd go, wait a minute, you got the wrong guy. But you see, in essence, there's great similarity here. You and I are pilgrims. We're going through this world and it's not easy. So in light of that, you may say, well, you know, that's pretty discouraging. I, I, I want to hear some good news. Let me give you four spiritual truths that you can hang your hat on. I want you to write these down. Number one, I want you to listen closely. God is sovereign over my storm. You see, Paul said in Romans 8, 28, he said, listen, we know that in all things... Everything. You remember what we said last week? That means, listen, that means financial problems. That means marriage problems. That means relationship problems. That means parenting problems. That means problems at my work. That means my health. That means every part of my life, good or bad, God takes all things and He works it together for my good. Now, if that's true, then number one, I need to understand that when I'm in a storm... God is sovereign over my storm. Now the word sovereign means that He is in control. That He has authority. I want you to take a left and go over to Luke chapter 8. Go go over to Luke chapter 8 and I want you to see this. Luke chapter 8 verse 22. Now this is critical for you and I to understand this biblical truth. Because sometimes we're in storms of our own making. You remember several, several months ago, I, I said, you know, when you're in a storm, the first thing you need to do is make sure that it's not a storm that you yourself have created. In, in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, watch what Jesus said. One day Jesus said to His disciples, now look at this next word, Let's, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat, they set out as they sailed, He fell asleep. Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down, a storm came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Okay, now I want you to look this way. You and I always need to ask ourselves a question. When we are in a storm, wait a minute, am I in a storm that I myself made? In other words, is this a storm that I have created in my life because I have disobeyed, God, I've disobeyed your word. You see, sometimes we find ourselves in difficulties and trials and storms because we have been negligent as to the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Financial. you got a financial problem, but you've completely ignored the stewardship principles of God's Word. You're not a systematic tither. You're not committed to giving. You're not not committed to govern your finances by the Word of God. And so you borrow or you, you charge up this card, charge up that card. The Bible says, oh no man, nothing, but you're constantly trying to live a lifestyle that God never intended for you to live. And thereby you find yourself in debt. And somebody may say, well, you know, I'm just going through a difficulty right now. We're in a financial crisis right now. Well, first of all, is that financial crisis due to my disobedience of the Word of God? So what the writer here, what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, God is sovereign God is in control. He's writing to these early New Testament believers there in Rome, and he's saying, listen, God is in control of your situation. Okay? So let's just say that together. God is sovereign over my storm. Okay? God is sovereign over my storm. He's in control. He's the final authority. Do you remember the Red Sea? You remember when the Hebrew people got... You know, by all indications, it looked as if God had just messed up royally. I mean, right? I mean, here are, the, here are the Hebrew people. Man, they're making their way. Here's a couple million people making their way out of Egypt. Man, they are celebrating. They're just going along. Man, they're having a worship service like we were having a moment ago. They're just celebrating. They're all excited. They're just going along there. When all of a sudden, they find themselves up against the Red Sea. Man, they got the Red Sea in front of them. Then if that wasn't bad enough, they turned around, and they could see the distant dust of an army coming after them. Okay, here's, here's, the, here's Pharaoh coming with his chariots and his army behind him. Well, what did they do? They're good Baptists. They blamed the leader, okay? They said, "Is this sorry preacher we got here. He's the one that got us in this situation. And man, they just, they just begin to have mutiny right there. Okay. By all indications, God put them in a cul-de-sac. In other words, he put, them in a, he put them in a position where they had nowhere to go. But my friend, hear me. God provided a way in an impossible situation. You may be in a storm right now and you say, you know what? This storm is so bad, things are going so wrong in my life, I don't even see how God could possibly work it out. Well, my friend, I want you to know something. God is sovereign over my storm, and He's sovereign over your storm. Especially, my friend, listen. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute, this is a storm that I created. This is something, this is an act of disobedience. I did something wrong, and I feel like I'm suffering for it. Is God going to get me out of that? Listen. When you and I find ourselves in a storm that we created, you know what we do? You know the old statement. Uh, what is it? Stop, drop, crawl, or whatever. Whatever. What is it? Stop, drop, and roll if you're on fire. Well, let me. You know, there's a little bit of similarity there because in the life of a believer, if you're in a storm that you yourself created, you know what you need to do. You know what I need to do. We need to stop. We need to drop. Don't roll, but pray. Okay? Just stop, drop, and pray. And this is what you pray. God, listen, I've messed up, and I, and I confess that. God, I agree with you. That was a mistake. I should not have done it, and I repent of it. Repent, metanoia, means I change my mind. I do 180 degree to turn, and I'm gonna get the, You know, God, just help me now to sort through this. You know what God does? What did we say last week? For all things work. You mean bad things? Yes. All of a sudden, God rolls up His sleeves. He pushes up His sleeves and He says, okay, now let's take a look at this and see how we can bring honor and glory out of it. Sometimes our storms become our testimony. And so God is sovereign over my storm. Let's say it together. God is sovereign over my storm. Now say it like you mean it. God is sovereign over my storm. That means He's in control and he's in a position of authority. Now secondly, I want you to see this, God will supply my needs in the storm. I want you to look a little bit farther. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, watch what what, what Paul says here. Paul said, "...and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose." For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. This is why Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Now look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, look at this, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now watch this, underline it, dog ear that page. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us what? Some things? All things. The Bible says He freely gives us all things. What do you mean here? That means when you and I are in God's will. Now listen, we say this little statement. Where God guides, He provides. Okay? Where God guides, He provides. Now what we mean by that is, is that when you and I are in the will of God, doing what God has called us to do, then listen, God is going to be faithful to provide all your needs. You may be in a storm right now because you've been obedient, because you're doing the will of God, and you may be thinking to yourself, you know what, but God, I'm about to go under. This is, Paul says, listen, God will provide all your needs and my needs when we're in a storm. Let me give you an example. The Appalachian Trail, I'd love to do that. If you all give me a really long sabbatical, might be glad to get rid of me for a while. But you know, I got to study in that, and, and I realized something, that in order to do that, you have to have people all along the journey that will take care of your supplies as you're going along. In other words, as you come to certain points along the Appalachian Trail, there have to be outfitters, those people who come and they give those supplies. They put those supplies there for you. In order, and they give you those supplies so that you can continue the journey. You see, God, when you and I receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God at that point predestined all of us to look one day like His Son Jesus. He is in the process of conforming me into the image of His Son, and all along my journey, He's going to provide every need that I have. Now, that is critical. Somebody may say, well, you know, it would be like me saying, well, I'm going to do this Appalachian Trail thing. And so I set up and, and, uh, and, and, and you, you come up a couple, I come back about a, two weeks later and, and you say, well, Brother Jeff, what happened? Well, I don't know. My supplies ran out. So I finally just came back home. And you'd look, well, what do you mean your supplies? Well, I was over in the Rocky Mountains and my, my supplies weren't there. Well, I thought you were doing the Appalachian Trail. Well, I decided I'd leave the Appalachian Trail and go to the Rockies. It's It was cooler over there. Well, you would tell me, well, brother Jeff, that's silly. You made provisions; everything has been provided and set up for you on the Appalachian Trail, not for you over there in the Rockies. Some people say, "Well, wait a minute. You know, God it didn't. God, you didn't provide my needs. Well, maybe you weren't in God's will. You see, where God guides, He provides." So if I'm in a storm or I'm in a difficulty and I'm complaining to God, God, listen, this is not fair. This is not right. You're not providing all my needs. My friend, it may be that I'm not in God's will because we're God guides. He provides. Let me show you something. Take a right and go over to Philippians. Go over to Philippians over there right before you get to Colossians, right after Ephesians. Look at Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. I want you to see this. Watch what Paul said. To the church at Philippi, he says these words here in Philippians 4, 19. Now listen. And my God will meet... Now watch this. And my God will meet what? All your needs according to... And I love this. According to what? His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, listen. As you and I are on this journey... As God is conforming us into the image of His Son, as we are in this journey called, listen, called God's will for our lives, God said, listen, I'm going to provide every need that you have along the way. I'm going to take care of you. Paul said to the church at Philippi, he said, let me tell you this. He said, God's going to provide all your needs according to His glorious riches in heaven. You know what he's saying to the church at Philippi? He's saying, listen, there is an unlimited supply in God's realm. God will never have a shortage. Isn't that great? God will never have a shortage. He'll never run out. There's no limited supply. So God's supplies, His supplies are for you and I, listen, to accomplish His will. What is His will? Two things. What is God's will in my life? This is it. He is conforming me into the image of His Son. That's His will. Now hear me. Sometimes those storms are the vehicle by which He's conforming and doing His greatest work. Did you hear that? Sometimes those storms in our life is God doing His greatest work and conforming me into His image. And as He's conforming me into His image... Number two, there's only two things God wants. Conforming me into the image is His will for my life and advancing His kingdom. You see, as as He conforms me into His image, He then uses me to advance the kingdom. What did He say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be none. So his supplies are for me and they're for you to accomplish God's purpose for our lives. Now in Romans 8.32, watch what he says here. In Romans 8.32, I love this because just like Philippians 4.19, he says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, watch this, graciously give us all things? You You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, if God didn't spare his son, if God was willing to give up His Son, then everything else is elementary. In other words, what He's saying here is, God's already made the supreme sacrifice for your life and for my life. James 1.5, James says the same thing. God loves to give all that we need when we're doing His will. He loves to do it. Let me give you an example. You tell your child... Now look, when you get home from school, I want you to wash wash mom's car. Okay? Now, as a parent, you've got a small child and you've told them to wash their car. Now, what logically is going to go through your mind as as you're telling this child this? First of all, you're going to be concerned that they have what? They have the things they need to do that. Okay, so what you would do is you would say, "Okay, now now listen, I, I've got a bucket. There's there's a hose. There's a bucket. There's a there's a rag. There's a um you, you know there's soap. There's everything that you need. So when you get home, I put it all out there. It's all ready. All you've got to do is run the You know you sit there and explain it because little Junior, you know he's just sitting there. He's having a hard time. Junior, stay with me here, son." You get, listen, as a parent, you would provide everything that Junior needs in order to wash the car. You see, that's exactly, God will provide everything that you and I need to accomplish His will. That's what He does. That's what, hey, listen, He not only does that, He loves doing it. Okay? Now, here's the problem. You know what the problem is? Well, Johnny's dad got him a power washer. Well, Johnny's dad bought him a, a CD radio and a big jam box, and he's got that out there while he's washing his mama's car. Why can't I have that? Well, Billy down the street, his dad, they got a lot of money. His dad mounted a high-definition TV on the backboard of the basketball goal so he could watch TV while he's washing his mama's car. You see, what happens is we begin to think, well, you know, hey, I want something more. Listen, God will provide all we need in order to accomplish God's will. He won't, always re- he won't always provide all we want. You see, a lot of times in our lives, we're too busy comparing other people. Now let's move on. Number three, God will surround me in my storm. In Psalm 23, you remember what David said? He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Let's say it together. For thou art with me. Where is God? God is in the valley. God is in our suffering. When you look at the Exodus, you realize that there is the pillar of fire, there's the cloud of the Shekinah glory, there, listen, God is all around His people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, as they make their way to the Red Sea, as they go through the Red Sea. you imagine the scene, that wall of water on both sides as they make their way through the Red Sea? God envelops His people. When you and I are in the midst of a storm, when we are accomplishing and doing God's will, and sometimes it can be very stormy along the way, God's there. Listen, when He told the disciples in a moment ago in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, He said, let's go over to the other side. Where was Jesus? He was in the boat. There's another time the disciples are making their way across there. They get caught up in the storm. Where's Jesus? He's walking on the water. I don't know about you, but if I saw Him walking on the water, I don't believe I'd worry about a storm. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace, where's Jesus? He's in there with them. You see, hear me. God will surround me in my storm. And I don't know about you, but that brings me great comfort. Look at John 10, 28. Take a, take a left just a few pages over from, from the, uh, the book of Romans. I want you to see this. In John 10... John 10, verse 28. In John chapter 10, verse 28, listen to what Jesus said. He said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now watch this. No one can snatch them out of what? No one can snatch them out of my hand. Okay, let me ask you something. Everybody look this way. As a born-again Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, can I ask you something? Where are you right now? You're in His hand. Okay? Now let me ask you this. If you're in a storm, where is you in your storm? In His hand. You see, He surrounds us in our storm. Now you may say, well, you know, that." wait a minute now. I'm in a storm and things are so bad right now, I don't feel His presence. Okay, I want you to look, I want you to take a left and go to Isaiah 26.3. Okay, now this is the most, this I believe is one of the most important scriptures that you'll hear today. Isaiah 26.3, I want you to see this. Okay, Isaiah 26.3, because some people will say, well, you know, well, wait a minute now, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going through a difficulty and, and I, don't, I just don't feel the presence of the Lord. Okay, now, first of all, he says, uh, you're in the palm of his hand. He says, no man can plunk you, pluck you out, and that means you too. When he says no man, he means no man. But look at Isaiah 26, 3. He said, you will keep. Now, who's Isaiah talking about? He's talking about God. He's saying, God, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast or fixed because he trusts in you. Can I ask you something? When you and I are in a storm, what do we look at? we tend to find ourselves looking at the storm rather than the Savior. You see, now, now, now let me say this. Some in this room, you're not in a storm right now. I'll be glad when he's finished. Oh, man, this is going a little long, okay? Hey, everyone listen. You're either, you're either in a storm right now you're coming out of a storm or you're gonna you're going into one. Okay. So yawn your way right away. No, I'm teasing. I didn't see nobody. I didn't see anybody yawning anyway. You see, the problem in our life, the reason what happens when we're in the storm is we we literally begin to fix our eyes on the storm rather than the savior. What God is saying, when you and I are in a storm, He's saying, listen, you fix, you focus on me, and listen to what God says, I'll give you perfect peace. Wow. You know, I love, uh, you know, when you're flying, sometimes when you're flying, there'll be pilots that will also be on the flight. They're going to another location, you know, to catch a flight. When when these guys are on on the plane, I kind of watch them. You know, they're sitting there just like anybody else in the rest of the plane. And if we get to, and there's been some times that I've been on a plane that had a lot of turbulence, got kind of stormy, and I would watch these, these, these pilots, okay? Now, these, these guys are like me. They're just passengers on the plane. They're not flying it. They're just back there going to another location. And, and I kind of watch them, you know. Now, they're sitting there, and, and, and they're, they're reading their magazine, reading their books. Some are, some are dozing. And, and I'm feeling good. I'm thinking, well, I ain't got nothing to worry about. Because this guy, he, he flies all the time and he looks like he's pretty comfortable. So I just kinda, I'm just kind of relaxed. But let me tell you something. In fact, I thought to myself, if I were a pilot in that situation, I'd have a little fun with the people that were watching me. I'd all of a sudden look out the window. Look kind of concerned, or grip my armrest and start shaking just a little bit, or you know, kind of look a little nervous, you know, just kind of play a little trick on them, you know. I'm glad that none of them have done that to me. You see, what 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 the Bible says is that God is listen. God is never nervous. God, God's not... And listen, your guardian angels didn't run up there in front of the throne and go, oh God, you'll never believe what happened when you stepped out for a moment. It doesn't work that way. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's the authority over my storm. And so He surrounds me in my storm, I love Luke fourteen one through 6. We don't have time because we're going to have to close in a moment. But in Luke 14, 1 through 6, Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee. And there's a man, the Bible says, they use the term dropsy, which is, it's, it's this ailment of fluid that's in all the lower extremities. In other words, this man is bloated. He's, he's filled with fluid. His heart probably, he has probably congestive heart failure. Something's wrong with him. He's sitting there in front of Jesus as if he's been planted there by the Pharisees to see if he will heal on the Sabbath. You know what Jesus does? I love this. Jesus walks over, brings up the issue of healing on the Sabbath, and and literally does this. He wraps himself around this man who's filled with fluid and so sick. He wraps himself. He, He hugs him and holds him like this, and heals him. You see, that's the picture of a loving father with you and I. One of my children had been going through kind of a hard time, and and, uh, the other day, their shoes were there. And I got down on my knees and laid my hands on those shoes and prayed over those shoes. And this was my prayer. God, and parent, this is a good prayer for your children. God, would you wrap your arms around my child and encourage them and love them? So, last, let's look at it. What we say? God, you're sovereign over my storm. God, you'll supply all my needs in my storm. God, you will surround me in my storm. And then last, God... God's love sanctioned my storm. Now you may say, well, you know, what does that word sanction mean? Now, everyone look this way. It means that God allowed it. It means that God permitted that storm. It means that God approved that storm. You see, if you go back and look at the life of Job, Satan just didn't go be bopping into Job's life and bring all that calamity into crisis into Job's life. He had to ask God permission. Now, hear me: God loves you and I enough that he brings storms in our life. Now real quickly, why? Number one, God won't allow you and I to live in disobedience, OK? Sometimes he brings storms in our life because listen to whom to whom the Lord loves he chastens. I got tickled at ledge a little while ago. He was saying, "Man, Dad, oh, Mom," he said. Yesterday we had uh, we had Ethan at a birthday party. He acted horrible. <laughs> said uh, he said we you know he booing up you know mad. Throwing a fit and said it was unbelievable. We felt like everybody was looking at us. Now I'm sitting there kind of smiling going, yeah, I remember those days too. <laughs> oh, yeah. How'd you handle it, son? <laughs> uh, it's so fun watching your kid's parent, isn't it? <laughs> Have a good time. But anyway, you know, he, he, and Sheila, Sheila looked at him and said, you know, He's just strong-willed. And I thought, I wonder where he got that from. (laughs) You see, you and I are strong-willed. And God loves you and I enough that sometimes, listen, He sends those storms in our life because we start moving in an area of disobedience. God has a will and a purpose, but before long it becomes my will, what I want. And so my will I want to get me way over here out of the will of God. And you know what God does? God creates a storm over here to bring me back where I need to be in God's will. God loves you that much. To whom the Lord loves, He chases. Hey, listen, if you can sin and not be bothered by it, not convicted by it, you've got a really big problem today. You're probably lost. You know, a lot of people say, man, I just can't do anything. I mean, man, I try, I try, I try to sin. But I just get so convicted, feel so miserable after I do it. Praise God. Praise God. You know, people that go through their life and they'll think, you know, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. Just try sinning. You'll find out whether you're saved or not. I didn't mean that. But here, listen, why does God allow storms? He allows them so that you and I can't live in disobedience. Number two, He will not let you and I live a shallow, superficial, spiritual life. You see, a lot of times we go through storms. You know what storms do? Make me drive the roots of my faith down deep you know what Job said, the most righteous man in the world? I didn't say that. God said it. God picked a fight with the devil. He said, hey, you consider my servant Job? None more righteous on the whole earth. You know what Job said in Job 42, 4, 5, and 6? He said, after it was all over with, he said, I had heard of thee by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye has seen thee. I repent and I abhor myself in dust and ashes. You know what he said? I may have been the most righteous man in the world, God's estimation, but there was still room for growth. God is in the process of bringing you and I to maturity, conforming us into the image of his son. Let me read something before we close. Listen to this. It's called The Disciplines of Life. I love this. It is so powerful and I'm going to ask Jeffrey or whoever's doing the, the invitation to begin to make their way. I want you to listen to this, though. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, to play the noblest part, when He yearns with all His heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch His method, watch His ways how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trowel shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. By every act induces him to try his splendor out god knows what he is about my friend i want you to know something god knows what he's about in your life and in my life and i want you to stand for a moment i want you to i want you to think again with heads bowed and with eyes closed i want you to think about these spiritual truths for a moment Now, I don't know where you are in your life right now, but with heads bowed and with eyes closed, just a moment, I want you to say this in the way of a prayer. So I want everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. And if you're in a storm right now, you're coming out of a storm, maybe you're going into one, I want you just to whisper right now to the Lord, God, I know that you're sovereign over my storm. And by that, what you're saying, God, I know you're in control of this. I don't understand it. And if it's a storm of your own making, then I pray that right now you would just confess that, repent of it, and say, God, forgive me. Now, God, help me. I agree with you, God. But God, you're sovereign over my storm. Number two, with heads bowed and with eyes closed, God, I know that you will supply all my needs in this storm. Your prayer right now, God, I know you will supply all my needs in this storm. Number three, God, I know that right now you are surrounding me in this storm. I thank you, God. Because right now he has his arms around you. He has your storm and you in the palm of his hand. Number four, God, I know your love sanctioned, approved, permitted this storm. I know that, God. Now, I want you to look this way. That last one, Bob Smith, blind Bob, who's lost two children, lost his eyesight, lost his business. So many tragedies in Bob's life. When his son Bob Jr. was killed, Bob said we were in a storm we could not get out of. Bob talks about literally laying on the grave of his son and asking God to resurrect him and raise him up. Bob said, I wept and cried. Betty said there came a time when she took her head and this, this, this college professor was beating her head against the wall in such anguish and pain and storm, the loss of Bob Jr. But Bob said one night, laying in bed on their backs, Bob said, he he leaned over and whispered to Betty, he said, You know, the Bible says, in everything give thanks. And Bob said they begin to look up at the ceiling and they begin to give God thanks and to praise Him for the life of Bob Jr. and all of the blessings that God had brought through Bob's life, Bob Jr. And they praised and worshipped God. And Bob said this, We then begin to find healing. Healing comes when you and I not only recognize, God, your sovereign. I know You're going to provide my needs. God, I know You're going to surround me. God, I know Your love sanctioned this. When healing comes in the storm is when we finally look up and we say, God, this is for your glory and your honor. God, you're going to do something good out of this. I don't understand it fully yet, but I know you will. This will one day be my testimony, God. So God, I praise you for my storm. I thank you, God. With heads bowed and with eyes closed. Lord Jesus... I pray that every person in this room knows the healing touch of your hand in the midst of a storm. I pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit that right now wraps around every man, woman, boy and girl, that, dear Lord, if they are in a storm right now, that a perfect peace will begin to flood through their life. Their heart will be settled because their mind, their eyes, their eye of faith is fixed not on the storm, but on the Savior. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll meet every need that they have, that you will divinely intervene in the midst of this storm. And I pray, dear Lord, that they would see that you're sovereign, that you sanctioned it. And Lord, one day that you, dear Lord, will receive so much glory even through it. Father, we thank you for the storm. Now Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you today that they would give their heart and life to you. Begin that journey of faith today. Lord, speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus.